Sugar impacts everything. And obviously one of the things that impacts is our weight and also our skin's ability to, you know, have elasticity and, and, you know, stay toned and tight. And it just, you know, it also affects our mood. So it affects how we feel about ourselves, And that affects how we look and feel when we're naked. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that Americans are winning the sugar race, but most of us don't even know that we're in the running. The previous decade of the 2010s showed a steady rise in the amount of sugar that people are eating in the US, up from 10 million tons to more than 11 million tons. Uh, no, this is not per person. This is uh, for the country. And it's no wonder the U.S. also tops a list of consumption per person at 126.4 grams per day. Uh, Germany, Netherlands were in the 102s, and all of the other countries that they looked at in the study were below 100. And a clinical study that spanned more than 10 years found people with high blood sugar had a much faster rate of cognitive decline than people with normal blood sugar. And if you had type 2 diabetes at the beginning of a study, you're twice as likely to get Alzheimer's disease in healthy people. It's almost like they read superhuman. Can I just say, I talk about exactly that correlation between diabetes and all of the things that kill you, what I call the four killers in the book. And it's also been found that high carb, <clears throat> also vegan, um, diets can increase an individual's risk of developing dementia by 84%. Yes, you can be a low-carb vegan. It's just that no one does that. Now, what does this mean for you? Seriously, just stop eating sugar or at least the vast majority of the sugar you eat. If you have two grams in a Christmas cookie, no one cares. But if you have 100 and something grams every day, you are seriously setting yourself up to be miserable. You can save your brain and check out my blog, DaveAsprey.com. I have a ton of stuff. And today's episode is going to be a lot about how to quit sugar because the stuff's addictive. I weighed 300 pounds. I was quite addicted to it. So we're going to go deep on sugar with someone who knows what they're talking about. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. 
Today's guest is an award-winning print and digital editor, journalist, and author. She's been a massive voice for health, wellness, and women's issues for the last two decades. Former editor-in-chief of Cosmo, Yahoo Health, and Women's Health, and someone who actually wrote a blurb for the cover of one of my books. We're talking about Michelle Promolenko. She's currently editorial director at large for The Well, which is a new New York-based health ecosystem with all kinds of cool stuff under one, one roof. And she's continuing to be a leader in what it takes to be not just healthy, but higher performing. And her latest book talks about sugar in a way that's really useful because sugar is an emotional, psychological, and physical and biochemical thing all at once. Not quite heroin, but not that far away. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. So what's your experience with heroin? Um, zero, actually, so far. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to so say that. So far. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's still and, time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no disrespect if you're listening and you've actually had a real heroin addiction. I did write about the opiate receptors in Superhuman, but sugar pushes some massive buttons. And of all the things you could have written about after 20 years, you, I mean, you've dealt with uh, eating disorders in the things that you write and edit. Sure. You've dealt with emotional eating. You've dealt with all sorts of different diet and exercise trends and all that. You could have written one book. You pick sugar. Why? Because it has the tightest grip on us, right? Even the healthiest, you know, in quotes, healthiest people I know have a problem with sugar. And as I was developing Sugar Free 3, every single person I spoke to who asked me what I was up to in this, you know, stage of my career. And I told them I was working on this book and this program. Every single one said, I need that. And they all do need it because we're a nation of sugar addicted people. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And personally, I find that of all the years that I've been covering health and wellness and fitness and, and all the things you just mentioned, that it's been the hardest thing for me to personally wrestle to the ground. When's the last time you had sugar? Oh, like I had it recently because I'm not on the program. <laughs> I'm living a le like less sugar-filled life, but I'm not sugar-free exclusively today because the program is a reset and a reboot. And I certainly hope that people take all the ingredient education and the tenants and the principles of the program and carry that into their life. And I certainly have but I'm not 100% because, you know, we're recording this during the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like it that you're really honest about it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm totally honest about it. And, I'm, I, and, I, and throughout the book, I cop to, you know, the fact that there's this gummy shop in New York that it's like the most delicious, you know, place in the world. And I really can't. There's like a magnetic pull, like when I walk by and I go in and I get it. And it's, um, you know, not something I do every day, but I do do it sometimes. But when I feel like I've gone off the rails, I know I need to pull it back in. And I know long term, I need to do an even better job than I've been doing up to this point. The whole point of Sugar Free 3 is, look, for three weeks, you basically reset your desire for sugar. And then you can go out and have, I'm going to call it a healthier relationship with sugar. A hundred percent. That's exactly, exactly what the book is intended to do. It's intended to reset you, recalibrate your palate, and give you the education because that piece is so, so important because part of the problem 
One of the biggest problems with our overconsumption of sugar is that we unintentionally consume sugar because we don't understand all the places it's hiding, right? It's one thing to consciously indulge. That's what I call it when you like have a Christmas cookie or have a pizza pizza or whatever it is. It's another thing to unintentionally consume the sugar because you don't know it's there. I do like the the title of one of your earlier books. It was called Look Better Naked. Yes. Now, I compare that to Sugar Free 3. <laughs> I, I kind of want to read Look Better Naked. What is the relationship between looking better naked and going without sugar for a little while? Well, obviously, yes, Look Better Naked was definitely a winner title. Thank you. I also used <laughs> it a lot on, on the covers of, uh, of Women's Health. Um, something we all want, something I still want. I haven't given up that desire. And there is a relationship. Yeah, yeah there is a relationship because sugar impacts everything. And obviously, one of the things it impacts is our weight and also our skin's ability to, you know, have elasticity and, and you know, stay toned and tight. And it just, you know, it also affects our mood. So it affects how we feel about ourselves. And that affects how we look and feel when we're naked. Um, so there is a relationship, obviously, because sugar impacts every system of our body in negative ways. I mean, it is pleasure producing, right? But that's, that is, you know, one tiny, uh, you know, maybe plus in a column that's opposed to tons of negatives. Is there ever a time you recommend eating sugar? Like, oh, you just you just had a, a bad breakup or you're just super stressed and like, you know what? I just want to eat the damn donut and just, okay, like permission granted? I, I don't recommend it. It's not like I'd prescribe it because obviously there's way healthier things to do to cope with all sorts of stressors, whether it's a breakup or work or, or what have you, you know, whether that's meditation or exercise or, you know, getting together with friends. But I do feel strongly about not attaching guilt to eating it when you do yeah. eat it, right? So very Abraham Hicks in the sense that when you attach the guilt to it or, you know, the thoughts that you have around something, you know, make it more powerful. So amplifying its negative effects would be feeling super guilty about having done it. When you, the next food choice you make can be a better one. The, the only time that I really recommend uh, sugar is if someone ate something or they're just feeling the beginnings of, of that food coma or even a migraine that can happen from MSG. Uh, and yes, MSG does cause migraines. We understand the, how the physiology of that works. There's some, some latest media things saying, oh, it's not real. Whatever. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> right. So what you do then is you take a tablespoon of sugar and put it in your Bulletproof coffee right? Because your brain needs a, a hit of any kind of energy possible to pump glutamate out of the brain. So it's not like sugar shouldn't ever be there. It's a, a super readily source, readily available source of energy for you. Uh, but if you do it every single morning in your cereal and in your coffee and all that, it, it's not going to end well. And like you said, your skin's going to start to show it. Your arteries are going to start to show it. And we can see it in your, your HbA1c. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is a marker in your in your blood sugar. Yeah, you you mentioned cereal and you know, I just think back to growing up and the fact that I lived on cereals like Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles. Oh my god, I all, love those too. Those are the I mean, ones I all, grew up with. <laughs> I mean the little marshmallows um in Lucky Charms. And my grandparents, I used to, you know, spend the night at my grandparents. They lived close by. 
and they would eat a bowl of product 19. I don't know, even know if that brand, I don't think that brand exists anymore, but it was like a, you know, corn flake or a, you know, wheat flake or something, um, a refined grain of some sort. And then they'd take table sugar and sprinkle it all over it. And then they'd put like, I don't know, milk in it. But it shocks me to think about how much sugar I've consumed, you know, up until this point and just how, as a baseline, how terrible they must have felt, right? Like that was how they existed. And growing up, I ate sugary cereals and there was always Yoohoo. Do you, I don't know if you know what Yoohoo is, that like oh, yeah. faux, faux chocolatey drink. Yoohoo and a gallon of ice cream always in the freezer and, you know, lots of cookies and crackers in the pantry and fruit in cans with syrup on it. And it just blows my mind now how, how any of us functioned, you know, and how, yeah. you know, how impactful eating like that for a lifetime, which is what, you know, my parents and grandparents did, um, does to you. And one of the big drivers for me behind doing the book is that my mom does have cognitive problems. And it's not a surprise given everything you said at the top of the show and how much sugar she consumed. And there, there are myriad factors, I think, but that the nutrition and the overconsumption of sugar in her life is no doubt a big contributing factor to where she is today. Just the other day, in fact, last week, uh, my wife brought home from an organic bakery, some sort of, I'm sure, sugary whatever uh, for, uh, for my son. And he wanted to eat the whole thing after dinner. And I said, don't eat the whole thing. Just eat half of it because you're not going to feel good after that much sugar. We know it affects your sleep. We know it affects how you you treat your sister. And basically, too much sugar tweaks you. And he got he got mad. And like, I want to eat the whole thing. I go, all right. And I went to the fridge uh, or the freezer, and I got like a, a coconut based but not sugar free ice cream thing. I said, great. Eat all of your muffin and eat this. Here you go. Or muffin, whatever the cake thing, whatever it was. Eat both these. There you go. You know how you feel. So if you're going to do it, like go hard. <laughs> oh my God. And, and he looks at me and, and, I, and I said, okay, your choice. And I walked out of the room and I come back. I go, how was the ice cream? He goes, I put it back in the freezer and I put away half the muffin because I really don't want to feel that way. I'm like, great choice. But, but, yeah. And yeah. Go, yeah, but having <laughs> like, but you've instilled the awareness, like he connects the fact that he eats something with how he feels and yeah. what really blows my mind is that people don't even make that connection, right? It's, it's as if they think like they're eating something and they feel a certain way or they feel lousy or they don't have good energy or they're not sleeping well or their digestion's bad or whatever, you know, the myriad problems are, but they don't connect that to, to what they're eating. So the fact that you've instilled that in your kids at such a young age is so important and so necessary, right? Because you only have them under your roof for a short period of time, really. And during that period of time, it's when you give them the education and, you know, you help them figure some of these things out on their own. And I think it's still a massive problem. Um, you know, I see it, it, it with my, some of my friends' kids and people in my family where the kids are just still consuming massive amounts of sugar and the parents, um, even if they kind of think it's bad, they don't think it's as harmful as it is. And so they haven't, yeah. they haven't put the 
and I'm not a parent, so I'm really not allowed to talk about these things. <laughs> I've been told. I've been scolded. Like, you don't know what it's like when all the other kids in the class want this. And then, and I'm like, okay, but then they can have it that one time. But like while they're in your house, you know, maybe you can do a better job. But there's this idea that sugar is harmless and it's the, the reward for good behavior. And that's why we attach all of these emotions to sugar too. It's celebratory. Yeah. It's a reward. It's what you get when you're quote unquote good. I love it that you said that. That's where I was going with it. It's it's a special treat. Oh, we're going on vacation. And I just explained it to my kids. Look, you if you have sugar, it's not going to kill you. Uh, but if you have it all the time, you're mo- you're much more likely to hit your brother or sister. And why, when you're on vacation or you're rewarding yourself, would you punch yourself in the face? Because <laughs> that's kind of what you're doing. It tastes right. good, but then you lose your energy later. And so they've learned moderation and, you know, Halloween isn't, isn't stressful for them because they buy, they use their crappy candy to buy a dark chocolate that they also like. And, and it's yeah. these little things where instead of it being, oh my goodness, I want to treat myself, which I think is setting them up for a lifetime of struggle with sugar. I'm doing my best to tell them it's not a judgy thou shalt not. Cause then you end up with either some sort of eating disorder or they rebound and like, I'm just going to live on sugar for you know 10 years and I'll show mom and dad. So that walking that middle path, but most of us haven't had that in sugar-free three. How do you suggest people talk uh, talk to themselves or deal with that? It's a very, very low level unconscious voice in your head that says, I deserve this. I'm good. I should have my sugar. What's the cure for that? Yeah. I think first of all, just being aware of it, right? It's so reflexive. Like we don't even question it. It's like you go to a party, you have cake, you, you know, it's, it's like you said, you're on vacation. Now I get to, I get to have ice cream, you know, as if you couldn't have chosen that any other time. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, I, I was in Italy this summer and I was like, well, I'm entitled to have a gelato every day, sometimes twice a day, um, because I'm on vacation, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but so I think being aware that you have this sort of reflexive, um, you know, impulse to reward yourself is the first thing. And then to start to think about like, what might be a reward that that feels better. And, you know, to your point with your kids, it's like, when you start connecting how you feel with what you eat, you nobody wants to feel like crap. So it's like you real you start to realize it's not a reward when you like pay the price in like stomach ache or a headache or low energy, or guilt, you know, any of those things. Um, it's not a reward. So, you know, it's a process and start. And once you start sort of recalibrating your taste buds and recalibrating the amount of sweetness you need to think something tastes sweet, then naturally sweet things actually do feel like a reward, right? Or do feel like they're, they're a sweet treat because you just get to a point, you know, and I've gotten to a point now where something you know, really, really saccharine and sweet. Just, I can't even handle it. It just kind of makes my teeth hurt thinking about it. It doesn't take very long. I think three weeks is about the right period of time where suddenly something that you loved, you can't stand it. And I oftentimes, I'll talk about my own taste palate, but you know, I'm a biohacker. I've eaten every diet under the sun, including, you know, raw vegan, lots of fruit and all the other things in between. 
but what's interesting to me is when my kids spit something out and go, that's just too sweet, I can't eat it. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's actually possible for that to just be your natural palate. And when they could eat it, they don't want to because it's like cloyingly sweet. Yeah, cloyingly sweet is the right term. Okay. So th- that idea, what's the what's the best reward for someone? I mean, should they just say, I'm going to go eat the, a piece of bacon? Uh, I mean, a piece of celery is just not a reward. I'm sorry. <laughs> it never will be. I think maybe just disconnecting reward and food altogether. You uh, know, it's like, I think finding yes. some other reward. I mean, maybe giving yourself an hour back in your day to do something you want to do. That's a reward to me. Um you know, whether it is, you know, doing something like that, like I'm taking an hour to myself to do whatever, you know, quote unquote, self care thing I want to do, or spend time with friends or, you know, go to a movie, like going to a movie for a lot of people I know. I mean, again, I don't have kids. So I have a little bit more, you know, leisure time than some of my no, friends. You have like way more leisure okay, time. I have, like a lot, of I, have, leisure time. I have a lot more leisure time <laughs> than people with kids. Okay, you're right. I have an abundance. Um, but to be able to go to the movies is a huge reward for, you know, a lot of people I know, um, which is crazy for me, but yes, it is. So I think, I think disassociating reward with food, I think maybe as, as a culture, we kind of have to, you know, unwind that. Got it. So you can say, I'm going to forego the candy and I'll get an extra 10 minutes of Instagram browsing. That kind of <laughs> if, if that's what you want as your reward. Yes. <laughs> but there's right. lots of food porn on Instagram, so that could backfire. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's lots of all kinds of stuff on yeah. Instagram. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, something that's in your book that I haven't seen a lot of is uh, essential oils. Yeah. There are big trends. Uh, You've written about it uh, in some of the pieces in the magazines that you've worked with. Uh, And certainly I've written a couple pieces on my site, but essential oils are all the rage right now, but I haven't seen a lot for sugar uh, carb or sugar craving reduction, but you write about that. Tell tell me about your experiences with essential oils versus sugar. Well, it wouldn't be a Michelle Promalego book if it didn't have some holistic, you know, a little bit uh, out of the orthodox information. So I really wanted to include this. And part of why I wanted to is I met this amazing um, aromatherapist. I say in the book, some people have therapists, I have an aromatherapist. Um, <laughs> but she is actually, she calls herself a bioalchemist and her name's Michelle Gagnon and she lives here in New York. And, you know, she's, you know, I developed an immediate girl crush on her because she's so fascinating and has such a wealth of knowledge. And any given day I can, you know, email Michelle and she might be in Oman, harvesting frankincense or Bulgaria, you know, tracking down some rare species of rose. And what I learned from her um, is how powerful scent can be both to entice and to curb cravings. So if you think about it, our sense of smell is so closely intertwined with our appetite, right? And it's so also emotionally tied to food memories. And so aromatherapy, um, there's sort of two divergent tasks, the routes you can take when it comes to curbing cravings. You can lean into the sweetness, right? You can diffuse a scent that has a sweet note, like a vanilla and that might, or a cacao, and that might actually make you feel like satisfied and warm and like you, you know, kind of got that thing you were craving, 
for some people that might be a trigger. So you kind of have to know which person you are or experiment with which person you are. The other route is kind of short circuiting that craving with something really brightening and something that alerts you more, which is like a citrus, like a grapefruit or a bergamot or a lemon. And so I was just really fascinated with how you could use, you know, non-food resources to deal with this. Now, I I wrote about how to use one unusual essential oil to raise natural killer cell activity in the body in superhuman. And uh, people are really intrigued by that. But I get a lot of questions. Okay, then how do you use it? You could be one of those ultra hippies. And I have ultrasonic infusers throughout the house shaped like alien spaceships and with little (laughs) blinky LEDs. And they all make weird noises. And I have to walk around constantly pouring water into them. But seriously, I don't have time for that. And I, I don't know, it's just not my vibe. Right. It's great when you go into a place that has one and it's, you know, it, it's a spa or something, but yeah. I don't want that in my kitchen and my bathroom. And so do you just, can I sprinkle them around the house? So I put them behind my ear. Okay. There's <laughs> lots of different ways to use essential oils. I happen to have a diffuser and I love it, but it's only one and it's not shaped like okay. a spaceship and it's, it's next to my bed. <laughs> And I mo- right, and I mostly put scents in there that are that are more conducive to sleeping, right? So lavender sure. and things like that. I, um, by the way, I totally support doing yeah. that. I'm just making. Fun <laughs> I know, of I know, that, I know. Yeah. It makes the house smell good too. So the other thing you can do is you can dilute it in a carrier oil, right? So most aromatherapists um, will tell you to use caution when applying it, an essential oil neat, which would be like just directly to the skin because it can cause irritation for some people. So diluted in a carrier oil like jojoba or coconut or, you know, something else. Brain and just, and was that? Oh, brain octane. Brain octane. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then, you know, put it wherever you want, right? Like, you know, put it, if it's like peppermint oil and you're trying to deal with a headache because maybe as you're getting off sugar, you've gotten headaches, you can just rub that on your temple. You can also just, you know, put a few drops on a cotton ball and like kind of carry that around. Um, one thing I, I learned from Michelle about essential oils is that they they sort of, uh, they're not oily. If they're not in a carrier oil, they're not oily. So it actually shouldn't stain anything. Um, so you have it like in a cotton ball and that way you can smell it. You can just inhale it from the bottle. Like usually they're little tiny bottles. They're not hard to carry around. If you have a purse, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, or place, you know, having one in a drawer, like in your house, in your kitchen, wherever. Um, so you can do it that way. So there's a lot, you know, you can, you know, put it in a body oil or a body wash. You can put it in a diffuser. Most aromatherapists, Michelle included, don't really suggest ingesting it unless you know a lot about doing that. Yeah, that can really mess up your liver if you get the wrong ones. Yeah. And, and sor- and sourcing the right ones are hard. Oh, that's a good point. You might not be getting what you think you're getting. I'll put a drop of the anti-aging one uh, for natural killer cells. I'll put it on my hands, rub my hands together, and then rub them through my hair. I figure my hair is better than a cotton ball because I carry it with me all the time. I, I love, I love that idea, <laughs> and it's not, you know, directly on. I mean, it's directly on your hands, yeah. which I've done that with lavender, like on a plane. I've yeah, done it for you know, antibacterial okay. purposes, and because you inhale it after you rub it together and inhale it from your hands, you get that great whiff you know, that sort of calms you down, like during a flight or whatever it is. So I like your, I like your hair as cotton ball, you know, vehicle, vehicle. Um, That's one I haven't tried, but I will. I I am a guy. I'm like, I'm kind of lazy. If I could put less stuff on my face and sell my face look good, I will just because it saves me time. I I don't necessarily want to put your 10 layers of whatever 
Um, but I'll do something at least. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, this was, I know this was a little bit unorthodox in terms of uh, advice, but I had recently at the well, I did an editor breakfast in connection with the book. Michelle came and talked and uh, I just, you know, everybody got to smell the different scents that she, she brought. She brought both ends of the spectrum, right? The warming sweet scents, like the vanillas and the cinnamons, and then the brightening um, sense like the, you know, that short circuit, the craving, like the citruses. And I could just tell everybody was really intrigued and really understood after she explained how closely scent and memory and our olfactory system is, you know, right there by the brain, how those things are connected. You did something interesting with this book. And as a, as a fellow author, I want to know about it. You talk about something called an open fit digital streaming platform that you integrated with your book. What is that and how does it work? Yeah. So, so steal it from you. (laughs) So open fit is a new digital streaming platform for fitness, nutrition, and wellness. Sugar free three is actually the first nutrition plan. It's got hundreds of fitness plans, but this is the first nutrition plan and it's a video based program. So it's a companion to the book. You can either get the book get the, you know, the streaming program or do them both because they work well together. There's bonus content in each. And as you know, you learn things differently depending on how you're consuming the information, right? When you read, when you listen, when you watch, different things are happening. Some are more active, some are more passive, and they can work, you know, in tandem. It doesn't have to be a one or the other choice. And it was a new experience for me and I really enjoyed it. So it's a full tutorial instructive video series that talks about, I'm, I'm in it, <laughs> talks about all the foods you can eat, all the foods you should avoid, how to crush cravings, um, dining out tips. You know, I have Carrie Glassman, who's a registered dietitian and a, a dear friend of mine come and, you know, really walk through how to read a nutrition label and talk about some of the 60 aliases there are for sugar. Again, back to that point of sugar hiding under all of these other names. So the the video tutorial platform on OpenFit is really robust um, and a great, it's just a great companion to the book. So now if you get the book, do you get the streaming service for free? Nope. Or they're separate. They're totally separate. They're separate okay. But when you get the streaming um, program, you also have access to everything else on OpenFit. And I had a movement expert, Lauren Roxborough, uh, who's also a close friend of mine. And that's one thing I did is I pulled in some of my wellness friends and experts to contribute to the book. I want to make that really clear because I see myself as the conduit to these experts. And as a journalist, as an editor, that's something I've always done, right, is curate voices like yours in in my magazines and other things. And I wanted to continue to do that with this project. And so Lauren has done a series of movement videos um, that are on OpenFit that are in tandem with the nutrition program, because during this time, you may or may not feel like doing your typical workout, but she's created one that is ve- that's an augmentation to the things that you're going through. So when you sign up to do Sugar Free 3 on OpenFit, you also get access to any of the videos that they have. So it's this whole universe of, of fitness and wellness. So it's a subscription service to all kinds of cool stuff that you can get 
and you made a module for that. Yep. Uh, people who read your book are likely to want the module. People who get the module are likely to want your book. Yeah. And I think you get okay, different things it. out of both of them. They're different experiences. And, and by by partnering, so to speak, with a whole bunch of other content, you're basically saying, hey, people who read the book, you know, do this, you get more benefit than if they just came to your website and all that. Yeah, there's so much information. It is really, really detailed and instructive. And this is a topic that I found through people that I speak to. It really confuses people. They don't, they don't know what to look for when they pick up a packaged food, for instance. It's like, you know, you're like, you have a stock of broccoli, you know what you've got. But when you pick up a packaged food, there's so much confusing marketing language, right? It's like we're being seduced all the time and and quite frankly, being duped all the time. And, yeah. you know, and, and it's like when you really drill down on it, it's pretty sinister. I mean, it, it's really it it, because it is completely intentionally manipulative and Tons of people fall for it, right? That's like going back to the how we don't understand how much sugar we're consuming because it's hidden and we're, you know, spoken to from the you know front of the package in a way that makes us feel like we're picking up something that's good for us. That happens earlier this year. Uh, even, I mean, I know what I'm talking about. My wife, you know, Dr. Lana, co-author of our fertility book. We're not exactly novices, <laughs> uneducated on these things. <laughs> But you know we're on vacation, and every now and then I'll let the kids have uh, coconut water, and a lot of people say, "Oh, you know that sounds healthy." But you look at the amount of sugar in there; there's usually about eight grams, uh, which is not a small amount. And uh, that said, if they have a small coconut water every now and then after meal, it's not a big deal. And we're in Hawaii; coconuts grow there. Why not? Well, Lana, you know, we're shopping. She picks up some fruit flavored or fruit one, and. The kids drink it. 20 minutes later, they're in the store and they're literally spinning in circles and bouncing off the produce racks and hitting each other. And, <laughs> oh, and, and I was like, what is going on with you guys? Like, stop it. And finally, I said to myself, all right, you're going to go sit in the car because there's just no way that I can even finish shopping for you know avocados with you guys here. And then I look at what they had. They each had 60 grams of sugar in their little fruit juice thing. And they couldn't help themselves. They're good kids, but they were tweaking. Yeah, right? because there so was like fruit juice concentrate or something in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is whole fruit is allowed on sugar-free three. And that's because it comes intact with the fiber. And so when you get a fruit juice concentrate, the fiber has been stripped out. And so, yeah, you're just getting that like straight to the bloodstream sugar rush that makes you tweak. Yeah. So I, I just, it can happen. It can happen to anyone and it's because it's hidden. So you're, you're doing videos and all to help people figure out, all right, what do I need to do? And it's funny because listeners of Bulletproof Radio, there are a ton of, you know, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine doctors who I know listen to the show because they told me when I was there a couple of weeks ago and a good number of practitioners and, and science people. And there's also a great number of people are saying, look, I just want to feel better. Um, this guy, uh, Josh uh, Hyatt, um, just sent me this amazing hand-forged knife, that, like a kitchen knife that, that he makes. And he's like, I've listened to all your episodes and, and all this. And so there's people all over the country doing all kinds of things um, that, are, uh, that are really cool. And some of them are like, hey, they think they're going sugar-free and they're drinking apple juice instead of putting sugar on their stuff. And they're not. So I think teaching via video is one of those powerful things you could do. I'm, I'm glad you did it. And I know from having done a documentary, 
video is not a small amount of work. How much time did it take you to record all your content for that? Hours and hours and hours. It was like seven <laughs> or eight full days of, of shooting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had never done anything like that before. I'd done, you know, TV and I'd done like shorter things for, you know, my, you know, to augment certain things that we did at the magazine, but certainly never did um, a plan that was as robust as this. And then there was all of the, you know, the program development, the script development, you know, and just all the technical things that go into shooting something in a way that is going to be efficient and really instructive and entertaining and all of the things. So it was a massive undertaking. Um, but working with OpenFit, they are pros at this. And I've seen the finished product and I think it's pretty awesome. And it's got tons of resources and, you know, recipes and all the things you would possibly need for tools to be successful. Now, did you read your own audiobook version of this or did you have someone read it for you? No, I don't have an audiobook version of it. What? I know. Oh I know. I, I mean, I think just to put, you know, there, there's so much production like the book and the video platform. Um, I mean, you can read it on a Kindle, but you can't listen to there it. But I haven't done, I've never done that. I've never wow. read my own book. I only did it for the first time for Superhuman, and I would read small sections for the other audiobooks, but people just kept really on social media like, Dave, read your own book. I know your voice. So I finally read uh, Superhuman, but I'm in the studio in Santa Monica and saying, Dave, your shirt's too loud. I'm like, it's just a normal shirt. And so I literally had to take my shirt off, and I'm sitting there with my shirt off <laughs> reading for four days straight. Uh, and that was just for audio, and if it was video... It would have been even worse. So I just, I want people to know how much you have to care to create weeks. You know, it's it's basically probably two weeks of filming to do what you did, plus all the prep work for it. So this is a major, major project. No author on earth is going to do that uh, to make money, to be really straightforward. Uh, it's much easier to write a book in your pajamas than it is to do a video thing. You only do that if you really give a shit. <laughs> so Thank I can you tell for you saying care. that. Yes, I care so much. And yeah, the hair and makeup. Ay, God, it's like, you know, what it takes to look presentable for me. <laughs> well, plus your definition definition of presentable. I mean, you're <laughs> you were in charge of Cosmo, right? So you, yeah. you kind of know how to look presentable uh, in a way that's many levels above what I have to do. <laughs> Uh, now, you've moved to something new, the editorial director at large for The Well. And right. this is an idea I so support. Talk to me a little bit about what you're, what The Well is, because I think listeners are going to be interested. This is a model that I believe is going to happen increasingly across the country in cities and towns of all sizes for a really specific reason. So tell me what you're doing in Manhattan. Yeah, it's super exciting. It is a wellness ecosystem in the heart of New York, um, right off Union Square. And it's a big space. It's like 15 to 18,000 square feet, which in New York is a big space. <laughs> uh, for those of you outside of New York, maybe it doesn't sound so huge, but um, it has everything you could possibly need under one roof. So it has functional medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, a meditation dome, a personal training gym, a mindful movement studio where there's tons of yoga classes and qigong, a reflexology lounge where you can like have the best foot rub of your life, um, 10 body treatment rooms, 
where you can get, you know, energy work or traditional, you know, Swedish massage, you know, deep tissue. We have sports medicine. So we have sports medicine doctors um, who will work with you on, you know, all of the, the metrics and mobility and, and strength and injury prevention and injury rehabilitation. So it's everything under one roof, acupuncture, all of that. Um, I don't know if I mentioned the meditation dome, but that too. And, and a restaurant. So the restaurant um, is public facing and so is the retail shop. Then the well has a membership product and also what we call a day tripper product. So you can just go for the day or you can be a member. And obviously if you're a member, there's like a whole, you know, tier of, of, you know, extra things that you get. But it's really exciting because one of the problems, you know, with, New York or anywhere really is trying to run around to take care of yourself in the ways that you need or want and trying to get that all in is near impossible task. And so to have it all under one roof is so amazing and so, you know, revolutionary in the sense that it shouldn't be revolutionary, but, but it hasn't happened enough. But to your point is probably going to happen more, but the, the critical piece for me is that the practitioners can actually communicate with one another. So the people who are working with you can communicate with each other about your treatment and your progress and your needs. That should just be happening always, but it doesn't. It's one of the biggest frustrating things for me. Uh, when I weighed 300 pounds and I was recovering from toxic mold exposure that I didn't know was toxic mold. I hadn't done my documentary. The knowledge we have today wasn't out there. And it was, uh, it was pretty frustrating because I'd say, oh, I need to go to this place and get an IV or go to this place and, and do that. And I, I've spent more time in my car driving around going to different practitioners and trying to schedule them all. It was a full-time job, not it to mention- It can be costs. like a full-time job. Exactly. Yeah. And then all the money, because you go you know, $500 here and $300 here. And at the time, I'm kind of paycheck to paycheck. And this happens a lot when people- aren't feeling really well, you're working really hard, you're taking care of your family, and whatever's left over in terms of energy and money and time is gonna go into upgrading yourself eventually, but just restoring yourself. And it just doesn't work if you spend most of your time in cars. So the idea of putting everything under one roof, that's one of the reasons Upgrade Labs exists, where the, the recovery technologies are all in one place, and it's at the Beverly Hilton, it's in Santa Monica, uh, and there's even uh, IV services there where we, you can get an IV of glutathione for detoxing and things, which otherwise, if I had to go one place to do some muscle stimulation, another place to do uh, all of the other different techs, so I, I, the return on investment is very high there. But what you're doing at the well is different because you're bringing in all these practitioners. So it's you know acupuncture, uh, Chinese medicine, and all sorts of, of other modalities. And these are not all, I'm guessing, they're not all owned by the well. It's sort of a place where people come in, different practitioners, and they can offer their services. But you just come in, you schedule one appointment, say, I want to do these 10 things while I'm here, yeah. and you can do all 10 things? Yeah, totally. And yeah, they, so. they are you know well-established practitioners that are best in class in their fields. And you know some of them um, you know, have other practices, say, in like, you know, outside of New York, some within New York, but they come to the well to treat well um, guests. And it really is a very unique offering in that way. 
And it's when, to your point, when you don't feel well, this, the added stress of having to run around and then how to figure out how to share records between your practitioners and all of that is so taxing. So, you know, the, the well is for people who need help feeling better and for people who want to keep feeling good, right? It's both because, you know, you can go there if you're super active and take classes and get massages and spa it out. Or you can go there if you're if you're struggling with an issue, can't figure out what it is, or haven't you know found somebody to adequately care for you, um, and you have the holistic advantage of having you know Western and Eastern together, which you know, as we know, is is probably the best route to take. Well, I look forward to seeing that model everywhere because it just no longer makes sense because there's so many things you can do in functional medicine and just supportive things for your body that aren't even actually medical. They're just more recovery and self-care. I don't mean getting a haircut, personal hygiene self-care. I mean, actual self-care. And it's not fair to ask people uh, all over the country, just drive all over the place to seek these things out. It's our job as providers to put them all under one roof so you can come in and get all of your stuff done and still have time left over at the end of the day for your family and your job and everything else. Because uh, feeling good shouldn't be a full-time job. And I, I think what you're doing in New York, of all places, I, I go there and I have all these friends who do crazy healing work and I want to go see them. I'm only there for four days and I've got media appearances. I'm going to go on Dr. Oz or whatever. I can only go see two people, but I would love to see 10. So totally. you're solving the problem for me. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> and and the well also has health coaches, which I didn't mention. And the health coaches are okay. so amazing because they act also as like the conduit and, you know, help facilitate the communication and can help people make better lifestyle choices just by giving them, you know, the advice of things that they can be doing even outside the well. So, um, so thanks for applauding it. It's been a really exciting, you know, project and place to be involved with, um, you know, in addition to doing the book and the videos. So I'm, I'm a lucky girl. And there's a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs and people who want to be entrepreneurs, uh, listening to the show. And if you're in a town that is not well served this way and you have access to do something like this, you might consider being the landlord and bringing together a group of really powerful, good practitioners under one roof and then being value added, not like in a WeWork sort of uh, uh, vaporous <laughs> value added. <laughs> is that the wrong word? Sorry, no. Guys. You work for we work, uh, but what, what I'm talking about there is, is yes, you should probably have some nice art on the walls or uh, whatever, something hip. Uh, but more importantly, make your business model around making it easy for people who walk in the door. Oh, did you want to book with one of these ten people? Let me handle the booking for you, and then all the people in the facility will be very the people who are who are your tenants, the the healthcare providers. They'll be very happy to pay you to do that, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I'm in this area, I get as the, the person, the entrepreneur involved in setting all this up, I get access to all this stuff, so you're going to upgrade yourself beyond belief, but more importantly, all the people who are there, they're relieved, all the practitioners, because they didn't have to do the billing, they have to do the scheduling, which is what's painful. If, if you're a massage therapist or a oh, doctor, right. those things suck. Yeah. So you take on the hard parts, and think of the, the clients, people come in the door, Thank God I could make 10 appointments at once. So everybody wins. We need these in every city, every country out there. And if you can do it in 
New York <laughs> with the well, which is the hardest market ever. If you can pull that off, then I'm pretty sure people around the country could do it. So let's see more more of things like the well model everywhere. Yeah, it's all about efficiency. You know, we need that, especially when it comes to taking care of ourselves. All right, now, speaking of taking care of yourself, aside from ditching sugar, <laughs> you're, you, you know a lot. You've spent 20 years looking at things like, oh, I don't know, women's health. And you, you edited the magazine for a while. Given all the advantages you have there, how long do you think you're going to live? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, <laughs> so my mom is about to turn 80 and she's treated her body recklessly. So I'm thinking I have a shot at 100. <laughs> that's it? I don't know. I mean, you know, forever, according to the cover of your book. <laughs> Maybe forever. forever. Oh, I like that. <laughs> And what, in what form, in what form am I living? Oh, <laughs> am I I'm assuming in this form? Yeah, not frozen. <laughs> not frozen. You, you don't have one of those keychains to freeze your body, do you? No. Okay, you're the last person I would think. Like, that's just not in your personality to no. do that. I don't either, by the way. Just full disclosure, I've talked about it on the show a few times. <laughs> so then the, the big question is, okay, you have access to the well. You have access to this wealth of knowledge for all these things that you've done before. So I kind of feel like you, uh, you ought to get at least a little boost from that. Okay, what are you thinking? What's your prediction? Well, I know that people can do 120, right? That's ambitious. Pe <laughs> people are alive today. But and, remember, uh -huh. remember uh -huh. at the at the start of this conversation, I copped to the fact that, you know, I, I still drink wine. You know this. We've had dinner together. Um, you know, I still do, you know, some of the maybe not as virtuous things. So we have to Do you still drink it with a do you still drink it with a straw or no? I never drank it with a straw. <laughs> how of dare, course you didn't. How dare you? Um so we have to, we just have to factor that in. So let's go 110. 110, there you go. Okay. So basically you're going to enjoy your life along the way. Very and much I, so. I honestly think you can. Think of the people who lived 120, like 120 years ago. Uh, that was 1900. There were no cars, no antibiotics. We were still fighting World War I, or we were going to fight World War I on horseback. That wasn't the only way they fought it, but a lot of it was. And there were no airplanes and, and just the world was so different. I got to imagine that you had another 50 years from here. There's a pretty good chance uh, that you're going to get a little advantage from that. So I, I think make 100 your floor, not your ceiling. And you're good to go. <laughs> okay. I appreciate your confidence in my robustness. <laughs> robustness. <laughs> now, your, your website is... How do you actually pronounce the name of your website? M-I-C-H-P-R-O-M, because your last name is hard to spell. Yeah, Mishprom. Everybody's like, is, so Mishprom is my Instagram. It's my, you know, everything social. And it's also my, you know, my website. Um, but it's funny because when I was at Cosmo, my staff just started calling me Mishprom, which just happens, okay. I think, as social media has infiltrated our world in such a way that now our handles are our, you know, main monikers. <laughs> so there are people in the world, friends of mine, or former, you know, staffers who just call me Mishprom. <laughs> okay. Mishprom it is. Mishprom.com. That's M-I-C-H, not S-H. And your book is Sugar Free 3. And so if you go to your favorite online book purchasing platform, we all know who I'm talking about. Uh, and 
you just type sugar-free three, they should be able to find it. But if you just type sugar-free, you're probably going to get an ad for a harmful food additive. So you got totally. a sugar-free three. And three, the number three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Michelle, as always, it's great to have you on the show. You've done huge amounts of work over the last 20 years improving people's perspective on health uh, with your work in, in the field of journalism and print. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate being on the show. Oh, Dave, thank you so much for having me. And I am grateful for you. We've had so much fun together and, you know, supported each other. And you've contributed to every single platform I've, you know, worked for. And I have so much gratitude for what you put out in the world. And uh, you've helped me personally. So thank you. Uh, you're, you're welcome. And I do have to say that as a former 300 pound computer hacker, ever being mentioned in Cosmo was at the very bottom of the list of things that would ever happen to me, but you made it real. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's episode, you know what to do. Put down the sugar already. I'm watching you. And if you decide you're going to eat the sugar anyway and say, Dave, screw you, you know, I still love you. It's okay. <laughs> and the other thing you could do, you could pick up a copy of Michelle's new book, people who listen to Bulletproof Radio oftentimes are readers. You'd be amazed. And if you're just too lazy to read, I also respect that. Normally, I'd tell you to get the audiobook, but since Michelle didn't do one, she just spent a couple weeks recording stuff for you so you could pick up her online thing. And I'm forgetting the name. Michelle, Open what's the name? OpenFit. OpenFit. OpenFit.com, I'm guessing. Yep. All right. So just learn something about where to find sugar and how to reset yourself. It doesn't take long uh, to do it. it. It's really true. I have not played around with essential oils as described in the book, which is pretty cool as a way to reduce sugar cravings. But I think there's validity to the idea. So play around with it and just learn you won't die if you don't have the sugar. You might even feel better and have a beautiful day. A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.